You know, we started this podcast because so many black belts and green belts, what I was finding is they get out of their training, they're really overwhelmed with the information, and they're just kind of like left a little bit empty, wondering, okay, what's next? Chances are many organizations that have just started the program don't have that flexibility or luxury of having a mentor kind of reinforces or gives some, how do you say, confirmation to, hey, what I'm hearing or what I'm doing actually makes sense, or this is what I'm struggling with, and that's common, so that's fine. So that's why you and I are here each week to be their regular coaches. So we're going to continue to support all of you guys who are listening so long as you continue to support us. We really appreciate you joining us on our journey. Tell your friends and colleagues all about us. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review to help us reach more Lean Six Sigma and quality professionals. You can search for eSuccess Methods Podcast in the search field on iTunes, or you can find us under the business and career section. And uh, by all means, keep listening. We have lots more coming. And if you ever have feedback or ever have some comments or even if you need a quick coaching tip, feel free to reach out on our website, eSuccessMethods.com. Welcome to the eSuccess Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, your weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical world of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 177, we review another article, this time covering the soft costs of rework, paying particular attention to the coding and finishing industry. If you're just tuning in for the first time, find all our back episodes on our podcast, Table of Contents, at esuccess-methods.com. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. Hey, Jacob, how are you? I'm doing good, Aaron. What's shaking in your world? We are shaken with products and finishing. Ooh, that's, what does that mean? <laughs> it means we're getting back to our coding roots a little bit. So I have an article again from my okay. my horde of things from way back when, when, when trade magazines mattered and uh, and knowledge was freely given over printed media. Okay. Yeah, you don't see that much anymore. <laughs> so I've I've held on to these things because uh, at the time they were priceless, and now I'm looking at them and I'm going through. I'm like, okay, they're not necessarily priceless, but they're maybe worth another mention before I throw them away. So, all right, this one we were looking at a editorial that was printed in PF Online, which is Products Finishing Magazine, uh, in June 2008, and it is the editorial section is called Never Finished by Matthew Kirchner. He was pretty much a monthly, regular editorial on this uh, magazine. And he's saying, he has an article here on the soft cost of in-house rework, why it pays to get it right the first time. Ooh, he's preaching to the choir. Yeah, he pretty much is. He does go through in this, this article and says, hey, uh, he goes through a number of reasons why rework is bad. He says, it, on the surface, you, you know it's bad because you've done double the work for... Uh, that if you had a, a product that was 50% margin, now it's no longer a profitable product because you've eaten that margin away by the time it comes through. Yep. And if you rework yep. it, it's not as good as a quality. And it's uh, now you've got a, a, a inventory of parts that have to be reworked, and that's competing with time for good parts. And now another customer has to wait. So all those things we talk about, basically the Toyota wastes, that are associated with defects um, and how they interplay and the snowball effect. Uh, that is all why rework is bad. Yep. But he takes it to a new level. Uh, and okay. this is where I think it's a little bit interesting. He says 
you should take the ability to rework a part away from the people who ran it. Is it from the people who ran it or from the place where it's run? Both. So okay. he says, take it as if you're going to rework a part, make sure you make it as hard as possible to rework that part. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, it all comes down to yes, totally, because if it's not done right the first time, you're now – to his points, right? You're you're spending more time and effort. You're doing a whole bunch of things. Uh, but it all comes down to how expensive is that part and how much of rework are we talking about here? Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's mine. Like if it's a small – if it's a small thing that can be easily fixed, then that's a different discussion versus, hey, instead of plating nickel, you ended up plating uh, zinc on it, and now you have you know, a lot more things that are going along with it. What you yeah, do no, that's, that. a, that's a big issue. I don't think you can get away with that one. But what yeah. he is saying is there, you know, there are some lines where if you look at it, you don't even have to take the part off the line. You send it down through the line again and pretty much rework it uh, in the next trip around the plating line. Uh, and he's saying, mm-hmm. stop doing that. Stop doing that is what he's saying. No, yeah. I mean, you're, 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 you're taking resources away from something else that could have happened totally. And I, I would agree with him completely. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, it comes down to, are you just fixing the problem or are you just masking the problem away uh, when you are allowing rework to happen, right? I think that's, that's the bigger question I would ask uh, if the team is doing that a lot. So... And I think that's the the tact he's taking is that when people do that and they say, oh, this is mine, let me just fix it. It'll be really fast. Nobody will know. It'll just I'll just send it a second time through and it'll and it'll be fine. Uh, and he's saying, mm-hmm. don't do that because now you've made a defect. Nobody knows you made a defect. It's not captured on any of our defect metrics. tracking yep. and our metrics. So we think we're doing a lot better than we are. So essentially, hidden factory, right? Yep. Yep. Totally. And he, he's saying in order to avoid that situation, he's even advocating, say, to have all parts that have to be reworked, take them out of the factory altogether and send them off to a, a, a vendor to have them rework them rather than have somebody else. That way it makes it completely visible to everybody, hey, this is what we are sending out the door as essentially bad work. Yeah, no, I would agree. Okay, so let me play devil's advocate on this, and this is where it flies against the idea of pushing so-called inspection down to the source. You want to be able to catch defects right away at the source, and in my mind, you should be able to correct your own work instead of having these inspection stations at the end of a line for somebody else to detect somebody else's problem you're supposed to be able to have somebody inspect their own work and then recognize right away if uh, rework needs to take place. So I, I so I support both, uh, but I think what he's trying to say is e- even if even if I inspect, I think the inspection piece should highlight the fact that something's going wrong with my process, and maybe the more effort should be spent on how do I prevent making more of this uh, mistake rather than reworking, and that's how I would think. That's what the author is trying to encourage, um, and it and not necessarily say, uh, let's put an inspector at the end of the line to segregate what is good and what is bad. And and maybe you read it that way, but I was I was reading it the other side where, or at least when you were speaking about it, I was thinking of it from the other angle that it said, 
let the process produce what it is. I, at the end of the line or I, at the end of this particular step, have a clear way of demarcating which is the good and which is the bad. Let me just not time, uh, spend time fixing the bad, but I've put it in a different bucket or in a different section. And for us to do whatever it is necessary with that particular bad part or defective part, uh, rather than me reworking it or rather than putting it through the same process line, let me find a different line or a different person so the output from this line is captured the right way. I'm looking at it from that angle. Mm-hmm. You are listening to E6S Methods Podcast, brought to you by E6S Industries. Join us on our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. Are you applying for professional certification in your field? You'll be happy to learn that all this time you've been streaming Jacob and me into your ears. You've also been earning continuing education units, or CEUs, which can be applied toward most professional certifications. You can do your research, all the math, and figure out which episodes are applicable for which discipline, or you can save yourself the time and hassle and just order a CEU report from us. All you need to do is provide us with which episodes you've listened to, and we'll provide you with a portfolio including details about each episode and a certificate of recognition with a CEU breakdown by competency, including leadership, tactics and tools, strategy deployment, and principles and philosophies. So if you have certification on the mind, start here and save some time. Just go to e6s-methods.com slash CEU to order yours. Right, and he's talking about uh, some of the difficulties of splitting up lots, which is significant, actually, especially if you're, say, in a... uh, you know, if I come from aerospace, you're, you've taken a part out of a what is supposed to be fitted to specifically for a specific engine because they are kitted and measured in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you split up those lots, it can it can you know a couple a couple of parts can stall the stall the delivery of an engine. Believe it or not, yeah. Um, the way the way they have to balance it. Um, so he does talk about that. And if I think back on those days. We had – I was in charge of a, a stripping line that was essentially devoted to doing reworked. stripping parts so that they could be reworked. And it was it was a horrible line. It did not work well. It needed upgrade. It needed, it needed some good process improvements, none of which we were going to improve because philosophically, you should not sink money into – a process that by its nature is waste. And, and, and exactly the point, right? Like um, by doing that, what you're doing is you're, you're encouraging the fact that, hey, it's okay if you make mistakes. We have a process that will f- correct it or, or save some of it. Um, so let's not fix the problem of why it's happening. Let's figure out what we can do with the part that's gone through that process. Uh, that's the message that is being sent. When you have... When you have the, you know, if you call it the backdoor policy um, Mm -hmm. to get around the system uh, rather than fixing your true problem, which which in the Toyota world or, you know, if you've read about Toyota or if you've you've seen some videos or activity around it, they have what they call as the Andon cord, right? So anytime anybody sees something not going right, pull the Andon cord, shut the line down, fix the problem where it's happening so that no other part is moving forward with that issue. Um, but I don't think that's what that's what happens in most of the world. It's more, hey, yeah, we know how to fix this problem. Uh, you know, it might be a slap on the wrist, but they re- literally have done nothing to correct the original problem. 
Right. It's just a, I'll throw, there's the bin, put it in the bin and get back to work. Exactly. And then maybe if you start making five in a row that are like that, maybe somebody will pull the, will call over the engineer or something like that. Yeah. So uh, I guess really all this is saying is it's, these are all techniques and on court as well, as well as this make defects as visible and painful as possible. Uh, And I guess it goes a little bit against what I was thinking on this article because I was thinking, all right, you know, sometimes these things happen. If they do happen, you should be able to correct them on the spot, and that would be a a good thing uh, so long as you're collecting the information and you're still – it's not necessarily a hidden factory. Mm -hmm. That's a little pie in the sky. More than likely that wouldn't happen. It would just – if it's that easy to fix – it would be fixed right away. So I guess I'm going to start to agree with this because originally I wasn't agreeing with it, uh, that this is just kind of like pulling the and on Mm -hmm. at the end of the day uh, without actually doing an and on where he can say, okay, everybody look, this is what we're shipping out to another vendor who's taking our money. Uh, What are we going to do about this? Exactly. I mean, that's the only way you can correct it, right? Uh, I mean, the other piece is, you know, again, incentivizing the teams the right way also. I mean, they all come together, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're incentivizing for producing more parts, then nobody's going to fix the current problem because if they have to shut the line down for three hours to figure out, they're, they're losing their bonus. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you're incentivizing for reducing the amount of waste uh, or reducing the amount of bad parts, chances are, well, they might do something about that. So it all comes down to what is the team encouraged to do what is the management supporting to happen and i think that's what's going to drive some of it or a lot of it which is something which is something the author gets into also right like i think in somewhere he has he has the line which he says you know it's about just even showing the people that you know the work they do is not important or things oh, of that yeah. sort. so he has yep. that line over there he says that people seeing a reworked part go through the line is demoralizing to them because they realize that the first time they did it was a waste of their time. Yep. Uh, so that's okay. one of the soft costs he mentioned. I mean, I would, if, if I have any employee or if I have any colleague who thinks that way, I would consider that a hallelujah moment itself. But <laughs> I, don't, right? I, don't, I don't think most people do. Uh, but, but just having that, just having that acknowledgement or, uh, that that thought process itself is a success, and that mm-hmm. if that's the culture that you can bring up, then fantastic. Excellent. All right. So I have been turned on this article. I held on to this for a long time, essentially in disbelief of what he was saying, but sort of intrigued that it went against my judgment well, you- to make rework as simple as possible. He's saying no. Make it as hard as possible, and I think um, I may be converted now. No, I mean, again, I don't – see, I'm not saying necessarily make it as hard as possible. I'm just saying – I think your point is very valid, right? Uh, I think why he's saying make it as hard as possible is to encourage solving the original root cause rather than mm-hmm. hiding it somewhere. Right. Uh, and I think that's – more than thinking of it as you know, don't identify the root cause or don't fix the root cause uh, – or sorry, don't fix the defect. He's more highlighting fix the root cause first. Before mm-hmm. you address the defect, yeah, it's essentially said don't go through throwing good money after bad. It's, yeah, it's kind of the the old way of saying it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jacob. All right, Aaron. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye bye.
Thanks for listening to episode 177 of the E-Success Methods podcast. Don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes. Tap click done. If you have a question, comment, or advice, leave a note in the comment section or contact us directly. Feel free to email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at esuccess-methods.com or on our website. We reply to all messages. If you heard something you like, then share us with a friend or leave a review. Didn't like what you heard? Join our LinkedIn group and tell us why. Don't forget you can find notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If you're not climbing up, you're falling down.